Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that is come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. 
To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Good morning. Well, my name's Scott. If I haven't met you yet, I'd uh, love to meet you afterwards. Uh, great that you're with us today. Great that you found us, even though we're in a different spot. Uh, so uh, welcome to those who are joining us. And uh, to all our regulars, uh, it's so great uh, to be together, uh, no matter where we meet, isn't it? It doesn't matter where we meet. Uh, it's a great joy. Uh, but it is exciting to be here, and it, it means that uh, we can soon figure out what we're doing next and put away some of those big questions. Um, well, let me pray as we uh, have a good look at Colossians 1. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. We thank you for this little glimpse at just how wonderful and incomparably great Jesus is. We thank you for this uh, little glimpse at just how amazing the gospel is, the mystery that you love us so much that Christ did what he did on our behalf. We pray this morning that we would uh, come to see you more clearly, love you more, uh, and be captivated and transformed by this gospel. Amen. We've got a little uh, outline there you would have received on the way in. You can uh, pull that out and follow along uh, those three points. Uh, the first point is a bit longer, uh, so uh, don't think it's, you know, after the first point we're going to go on forever. Uh, but uh, you'll need to keep uh, your Bibles open um, and Colossians 1. Well, most mysteries are only really mysteries until they get solved, right? You know, the, uh, the more information we discover the less mysterious the mysteries are. And once they're fully solved, they stop being mysteries altogether. Mysteries like, who's the bicycle bandit? What caused the Titanic to sink? Or how do bats see in the dark? Once they're solved, they're not mysteries anymore. But there are some mysteries that even after they're discovered and revealed and solved, they stay mysteries because they're just so mind-blowingly incredible. And now when I grew up, uh, I grew up in a family uh, of Christians, a Christian home, uh, and my whole life I've been learning about Jesus. Uh, and every year that passes, I learn more and more about Jesus. Uh, but unlike many mysteries, the more that I learn and the more that we learn about Jesus, the more the mystery grows, not shrinks. See, every new piece of information, every new realisation about who he is and what he's done, every new little glimpse of his character captivates us and makes us more amazed, more overwhelmed and more baffled than ever before as we marvel at this mystery. See, Jesus is so much more powerful, more glorious, more gracious, more loving and more mysterious than we could ever possibly wrap our heads around. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has done is the single greatest mystery of all time. The incomparable mystery. The second greatest mystery of all time is how to say incomparable. Incomparable? Incomparable? I don't know. See, it's a mystery not because we don't know who he is, but it's a mystery because we do know who he is. And it's not a mystery because we don't know what he did. 
It's a mystery because we do know what he did. Every single thing about who he is and what he's done is so far beyond anything else in this world and our ability to comprehend his greatness that it's impossible to get our heads fully around it. And Colossians 1 invites us to dive deep into the bottomless depths of this mystery. I want you to imagine uh, I had a cup, just a regular cup, a glass, a mug, doesn't matter. But the thing with a cup is that it's got a finite capacity. There's only so much water you can pour into a cup before it's full and it starts overflowing. Now imagine I had a cup that I could fill to the top and then fill some more and some more and it never overflowed. It kept going in and never flowed over the top. I could pour jug after jug. I could hold it under the tap and wait till the whole Murray River had drained dry. Imagine I could take all the water of the whole planet and pour it into this cup and it would all fit. Now that would be an incredible mystery. But actually the mystery of Jesus is even more incredible. Have a look there at verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 19. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. See, God the Son eternal, immortal, no beginning, no end, omniscient, all-knowing, all-creating, he made everything, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, all-present, he is everywhere, there is nowhere he is not. His indescribable, unimaginable, uncontainable, and the mystery of Christ is that he was contained in a single human body. That's even more amazing than a single cup holding all the water of the entire planet. See, God the Son, who existed before the universe, who is totally outside and separate and apart from the creation, God the Son, who has no physical form or body but his spirit, who is everywhere, who made the universe and every physical thing, who made matter and dark matter and antimatter and invented electrons and determined the laws of physics and designed gravity and formed every star and planet and black hole, the one who created life, who created seasons and plants and animals and humans, the one who created heaven and the angels and the spiritual beings, the one for whom all creation was made for his pleasure and glory, the one who keeps the planet spinning and turning and our hearts beating, he entered into a human body. 
He entered into the creation he made as a human, the fullness of infinite God, mysteriously, miraculously contained within a finite body. But that's only the start of the mystery. The other part of the mystery is why. Have a look at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So usually when you have a mystery about a death, you know, it involves, you know, how they died, who killed them. But the mystery with Jesus is the mystery that he ever died at all. See, God can't die. He's eternal. He's the author of life. He is light of the world, his life itself. And yet he did. Even though it was others who nailed him to that horrible wooden frame, nobody took his life from him. Jesus willingly, deliberately gave it up of his own free will. He sacrificed himself. And he didn't do it for friends. He did it for enemies. Now let's rewind the story a little bit. Uh, just the other night, uh, Annika had a bad night, our daughter, our young daughter, uh, and she ended up in our bed. Uh, now I'd been quite happy before Annika turned up in our bed, uh, cuddling up to uh, the love of my life. And, and now in between us, we had this like, little wriggling, affection-hungry little human squirming around and uh, you know, trying to get all the cuddles she could. She insists on being right there in the middle. And actually, I loved it. Uh, but as she was there and I'm sort of cuddling, we're cuddling around her, I was, it made me think, actually, about this mystery, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of why he came into the world, the mystery of why there is a world at all in the first place. Because way back before creation, before the beginning of the world, God himself was a, a little bit like me and Keely, cuddled up on our own in bed. See, God is, is one God, who is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one, together, one, united perfectly for all eternity. This kind of holy huddle, cuddle of perfect completeness, happiness, love, relationship, intimacy, and joy. Perfectly unbroken, undisturbed wholeness, lacking nothing, needing no one else, completely fulfilled and complete. See, God didn't create humans because he needed company. He didn't need anyone outside himself. But in his incredible, overflowing love, he wanted to invite others in to that love within his being. He wanted to bring other people in to that unity and joy and wonder and fellowship and relationship of God himself 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he made us to bring us in. He made us in a wonderful creation. He made the whole universe for us to put us in it and give us a tiny taste of how good it is to be in relationship with him. And it was glorious. But when we decided we didn't want that fellowship, we didn't want to be united to God, we thought we'd be better off. And look how it turned out. I mean, how's the world look after we burned it down? Sure, there's still good stuff. There's still the remnants of that amazing world that God made. There's incredibly beautiful, wonderful things in this world. We've done a pretty good job of turning it into a mess. Like kids who burned down the house and ran away and hid in a cave, shivering to death, still angry, still blaming God for the problems that we created. Look at the anxiety of our world. Look at how confused people are. Look at how anxious people are to figure out where do I fit? Who am I? Who will validate me? Look at the depression and the enmity. Look at the families ripped apart. Look at nations at war. Our world is a mess. But the mystery of Christ is that the Son of God came into the world, came into our caves while we were still choosing to be his enemies and came to bring us peace with God. Like the parent who goes to their sick child and picks them up and washes off the vomit before bringing them into their own bed. Jesus came and died to wash off the years of guilt and shame and brokenness. He died to take the punishment for our war crimes against him, against each other, against his world, and to bring us into that perfect unbroken relationship with himself. But by his death, his sacrifice not only enables us to be brought into relationship with God, it not only enables peace for us with God, it actually enables the whole world, the whole creation, to be renewed and restored. So it's like Jesus came. He took our greatest enemy, sin and death, and he held it in his own arms, and he jumped off the cliff into the chasm of death, taking sin and death with him and killing it by his sacrifice of himself. But because he was God... He couldn't stay dead. He rose. Have a look at verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. See, not only in his death did he deal with sin, in his resurrection he brought the coming of a new era. In all the world we've been in We started in the season of great. We rejected God. We're in the season of death. 
And now Jesus has brought about the start of a season of resurrection. All who trust in him will be raised like him. See, this is the incomparable mystery of Christ. And point two, this is the mystery that's captivated and rescued us. Have a look at verse three. Paul says to the church in Colossae, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel, this, this message, this news of the mystery of Christ is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Verse 13. When you heard and received, this is what happened. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Well, a few weeks ago I, said, I asked the question, well, why am I married to Keely? Well, it's not because uh, she makes great cakes or dinners. Uh, it's not because of the benefits I get from her. Uh, it's not because, you know, I was looking for someone to bear some children and she seemed to, you know, fit, fit the mould. It's because I love her. Because as I came to know her, who she is and what she's like, I grew to love her. And I longed to be with her. And when we learn the mystery of Christ, the Son of God, who died to bring us peace with God, the mystery of how incredible he is and incredible it is what he has done, we were captivated. We loved him. We wanted to be with him. We longed for him to bring us in to that love and that union and that relationship of God himself. Verse 21, Jesus brought us out of the cave and into his presence. 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. See, for those who have been captivated by the incomparable mystery of Christ, who are clinging to him, trusting in him, trusting that he has died to save them. And they continue to cling to him. He will present us holy. He will bring us in to perfect unity and fellowship right in the middle of that divine three-way huddle. But only, verse 23, if we remain in this faith. Only if we don't walk away from and abandon Jesus. Only if we don't walk away from the hope he has given us. And it's sad, isn't it? It's, it's, it's terrible when we see people who forget, who forget 
just how good Jesus is. Who forget just how amazing the hope that he has for us is going to be. Forgetting just how how good it is to be loved and accepted and to be friends with God. It's terrible when we see people forgetting that it's only Jesus who makes us righteous. We see people forget that we can't do it ourselves. It's terrible when we see people look around and think life is better elsewhere and forget that this is all going to pass and this doesn't even have a patch on the new creation that's coming and the life that Christ has won for us. And so Paul prays for the church in Colossae, but this prayer is actually for God's people throughout all the world, including us, because he knows that we need to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into this mystery. Have a look at verse 9. For this reason, since the day that we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. See, Paul is so eager for God's people not to fall away and miss out. He's so eager for them to be built up and established so that they stay in Jesus. And so they reach that hope that we have. That he's willing to suffer whatever it takes to help establish us. Look at verse 24. So Paul says, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. I fill up in my flesh, my body, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. In other words, Christ suffered and died for the sake of his body, to win his body, to give birth to the church. But actually, until Christ returns, there's more suffering that still needs to happen for his church to be built up. Verse 25, I, says Paul, have become the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. He, 28, verse 28, he, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, fully initiated in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. See, Paul considered suffering for the sake of us, for the sake of Christ's church, as a joy. Because it was a joy to know that that suffering was going to have a ring that went out for all eternity. But did you notice why He was so confident to do this. There in verse 29 is an incredible reality and promise that actually as we live for Christ, lives that please him and are worthy of Christ, 
It's he who works powerfully in us. Point three, the mystery that grows and bears fruit as Christ works powerfully in us. I don't know if you noticed uh, there, but the language Paul uses to describe what God called him to as an apostle, to joy and suffering and, and endurance, it's actually the same language he used back in the earlier verses, in verses 9 to 11, that God has called us to, the life that is worthy and pleasing to God. See, in both cases, whether it's Paul or it's us, once we've been captivated by this gospel, Christ works powerfully in us and through us. He works powerfully in us to enable us to endure through suffering that we couldn't on our own, to enable us to live for the gospel and to work through us so that this mystery will bear fruit in us, in our lives, in godliness, but also bear fruit through us in the world as the mystery spreads and he builds his church. So he works powerfully in us and through us. Now, Keely and I uh, personally believe that there's nothing more worth spending our lives for, spending our lives on, worth sacrificing for, than to build up Christ's church on the inside, to spend our lives as God's people, to try and build up and encourage and establish one another in this faith so that we do not walk away but also to build it up from the outside. As we reach out with this good news that God has chosen, verse 27, to make known among the nations, to spend our lives on helping others to come to know Jesus too. And you know, it actually doesn't matter where we are, where we meet, to be able to build each other up, does it? has some effect, you know, but at the end of the day, we can encourage one another as brothers and sisters in Christ to grow wherever we are. But when it comes to reaching those in the community around us, well, I'm personally convinced that actually this is probably the best opportunity we have to do that right now, to make Christ more widely known in our region. Actually, we're so convinced of that, that that we've counted it a joy to be able to make some sacrifices to try and make that happen. Now, I don't tell you this to try and make us look good, but to say that actually we believe, we are so captivated by the mystery of Christ and the need for the gospel to keep growing within us and in our community, that actually Keely and I have been prepared to throw a whole lot of time and sweat and our own resources into trying to make this move a possibility. Now, it might seem like a bit of a a crazy, foolish gamble. Um, You know, we've put a lot of work in, as you can see, uh, to something that's just a possibility. (laughs) Uh, This move is, is just a possibility and nothing more. Why would we pour so much energy and time and money and stress into something that's not even a certain future? 
So we don't know if God will close the door. We don't know if uh, we're going to get stuck with a whole pile of curtains clogging up our garage for the next 10 years uh, that we don't need. I really don't need that many hand winches uh, at all. But you know what? God's people have always taken a risk. And when God's people take a risk for the sake of the gospel, it's never a waste. You know, Paul didn't know what would come of his missions. He never knew if the ship he got on would actually make it to the port that he was headed. He didn't know when he arrived in a town whether he'd be welcomed or clubbed to death. He didn't know if a single person would receive Christ or if every person in the city would laugh him out. And you know, all of Jesus' apostles were so captivated by the mystery of Christ and so compelled by the need for this mystery to be made known that they all considered any risk worth taking, anything worth sacrificing, any suffering worth suffering as an opportunity to rejoice for the sake of building up Christ church. See, Paul and the apostles didn't want to get to the end of their lives and look back at a life that was a string of gospel opportunities that they never took because they were afraid of the risks. They didn't want to waste their lives by being safe and comfortable. See, the apostles knew that there was no risk for Jesus that was ever wasted. And they knew and believed that Christ would work powerfully through them as they suffered for the gospel. See, the mystery of Christ is incomparable. Who he is, what he's done. Sacrifice himself to bring us into unity and fellowship with God. And we've been captivated by that mystery. We've been rescued by it. And this mystery, well, it grows and it bears fruit as Christ works powerfully in us. This is why risks are worth taking. This is why suffering is worth it. This is why sacrifices are worth it. Let us be God's people who lives lives worthy of his calling, fully pleasing to him, who take risks knowing he is in us, who suffer knowing that his energy will uphold us, and who sacrifice knowing that he will work powerfully through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible mystery of Christ. Lord, help us today and every day grasp a little bit more just how incredible he is and what he's done for us, how incredibly undeserving we are, yet how lavishly he pours out his grace on us. Help us be so captivated by this mystery and, and so excited about what we've been rescued from and into that we, like Paul and the apostles, would consider any suffering, any sacrifice, any hardship a joy for the sake of building your church. Lord, we pray that uh, as we think about these things, as we 
uh, think about uh, this venue, as we think about what we're doing next as a church, may you in us give us great wisdom. May we be so captivated by the gospel that we make choices solely based on how the gospel will grow in us and through us. May we be prepared to take risks. And whatever the outcome, Lord, may you work powerfully in and through us to your glory. Amen.